0: Well, thank you, good to be here. Thank you, Chip, it's so good to be here. You know, uh, I just wanna recognize the leadership here. I mean, you all are super blessed. You know, I was here when you did the installation service a couple years ago, and just wanna say, uh, you all are blessed to have the leadership that you have in Chip. Aren't you guys just blessed to have him as a pastor? So good, so good. And then this place has a special place in my heart, just, you know, Uh, because the Dionys have just been so gracious to me over the years and inputting into my life and giving me encouragement uh, as a young pastor, uh, which isn't currently, I'm no longer a young pastor, but you know, 20 years ago, 24 years ago when we were planting and just getting to know them, and so uh, you are blessed with leadership here and the heritage, and not to mention the rest of the, the staff and the leaders that you have, so, so good, so good. Well, real quick, I wanna introduce you just a little bit about myself, he told, told you a little bit, 24 years ago I planted the Lancaster Vineyard Uh, My wife and I were from kind of the Fairfield County area, so we planted down there. And uh, just in January, turned that church over uh, to our associate pastor, Johnny, and now I do work full time for Vineyard USA. Essentially the easiest way to say what I'm doing is, Providing pastoral care for pastors, uh, involved in several even just reconciliation efforts, helping you know if there's been any relational breakdowns between pastors or individuals, just helping in those matters, and just trying to provide a system of care uh, so that every church knows that they matter and that every church has a covering and support. So that's what I'm doing, and then I have a family, and so I'll put this, we we'll this picture up here, I think of my family. So this is just from about six or eight weeks ago. My daughter, Emmy, on the far side there, she's actually sitting down there. Uh, my wife, Christy, wasn't able to be here. Luke, just this was at boot camp, he graduated from the Air Force boot camp, and so, uh, yeah. That's me, and then that's my other son, Jesse, and uh, he is married and down in near Hilton Head, which I fly out today to go see him and visit him. He, he and his wife just got a house, and so we get to see that house for the first time. So, great family. And So, Emmy is here with me, and then her friend Malachi is with me, too, and so I was happy to have some cheerleaders come with me uh, in case I got nervous. They could help me. So, uh <laughs> Well, today, I, you know, one of the themes that, that if you, I don't know if you've seen the podcast, Vineyard USA has a great podcast, comes out every Wednesday called We Are Vineyard. All of our regional conferences are We Are Vineyard. And one of the things that helps bind a family, probably even your own family, is little catchphrases, right? Like you probably have insider language in your own family. And so what are, what are do you know any, I mean Vineyard has those insider phrases. Do you, do you know any of those? If you know them, just shout it out. Like what's an insider little phrase? that's part of Vineyard USA or part of even this church? What are some phrases? Everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. That's a good one. Reading your mail. Reading your mail. Come as you are. Anybody else? You're part of the tribe. Part of the tribe. Yeah, there's this idea of a part of a tribe. Yeah. It's in my wheelhouse. It's in my wheelhouse. That's one. Yeah. Yeah. Faith is spelled what? Anybody remember that one? Risk, R. I. S. K. So there's all these different ones that we have, and you know, one of the ones I love is is power evangelism. It's not necessarily a catchphrase, but it, it was the first kind of term I heard in the Vineyard back in the '80s. I was in Lancaster going to youth group, and my youth pastor showed us John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard's uh, testimony video, and he talked about power evangelism, and I kind of like that. I like the idea of like. Power evangelism any, anything to make evangelism sound better, right like I mean just anything to, I mean you can have a class on evangelism and you 'll pack it out as soon as you say, Hey, come on Wednesday night because we 're going to go out and share our faith with people like you 'll have crickets that 's it like there won't be anybody else in the class right like we 're all kind of scared of evangelism, so I kind of like power evangelism because it has that kind of power thing and it, it helps kind of uh, nuance it and, and make it like intriguing like what is that? What does it mean because we're scared of evangelism because it just stretches us. And, and probably because a lot of times either we've not been, you know, maybe trained well in past experiences or maybe we've seen people who called themselves evangelists, you know, do it in ways that we're like, I'm not sure I could do that. Like, I'm pretty sure if I did that it would freak my coworker out. Like, I'm not sure I wanna do that. Which brings me to another phrase. That's one of my favorites in the vineyard, naturally supernatural. Remember that one? So we believe the power of God, that the kingdom of God, like the next moment could be the moment when the kingdom breaks in, where people's lives get changed. We believe in the supernatural touch of God, but we also want to do it in a a naturally supernatural way. Like it shouldn't just work on the stage or at a conference or on TV. Like it needs to be able to work in in the grocery store, right? needs to be able to work with your, with your in-laws. It needs to, needs to work with your neighbor, right, at your school. And so I love this idea of naturally supernatural. Um, and I want to tease that out a little bit today of, like, what would it mean to live kind of a naturally supernatural evangelistic life? Like, what would that look like? I know some of my first experiences with, or not first experiences with evangelism, but I, I can remember different times along the way where I saw people try to do evangelism that wasn't very natural and not very supernatural. When I was 22 years old, I moved to Northwest Ohio and was part of a church planting team. I was the associate pastor there and I was bivocational. I was working at a furniture factory. Uh, Souders was the name. Maybe you've got an entertainment center, a desk that you bought out of a box and put together. That's, that's where I was working at. And so one night, I was working third shift, and one night, one of my coworkers, an older gentleman, he said, I'm going to share my faith tonight. I thought, this ought to to be interesting. And so he invited all the coworkers at our little factory assembly line. There was about eight of us, and there was like a a big kind of drafting type table or, you know, counter height thing, and he had us all gather around. And he pulls out, like, what looked like a road map. Like, literally, it unfolded. Like, I mean, if you're under 40, a road map is this thing with paper and it has lines. It's, it's like Apple Maps or Google Maps, which it's actually printed. And it's folded up and you, okay. So, he, he unlays this map on this table. And he, when he opens it, I thought, immediately I thought, this is not gonna go well. Like, there was the flames of hell here. And then there was heaven here, and there's the road map and the cross and everything. And he begins to present the gospel and he tells about the crossover and he goes, now because I believe in Jesus, this is where I'm heading. And he looked at all of us, but you, because you don't believe in Jesus, you all are here where the flames are. That's where you're going to end up. That boy had negative fruit that day, like souls saved, zero, souls permanently hardened to the gospel, seven. Uh, I was neutral because I was already saved, you know. So uh, that wasn't naturally supernatural. What natural, wasn't supernatural. So how could we become naturally supernatural evangelistic people, people who can share their faith in very naturally supernatural ways? That's what I will answer today. And to answer that question, we're going to look at the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, whether you have it on your smart device, I know you're not looking at Facebook right now. You're actually in the Bible app tracking with me, I'm sure. So... Uh, If you can turn to Acts chapter 3 or if you have the analog version of the Bible, a printed one, you can turn to Acts 3. If you don't know where that's at, just look in the table of contents you'll find it. Acts is the second part of a uh, kind of a dual work by uh, the physician and the doctor, historian Luke. And uh, he wrote the Gospel Luke. He writes Acts. It's about the Acts of the Apostles, which we could probably also call the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And he writes this book. And in the early parts, the parts we're not going to read in Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, uh, the, the church has grown, the Holy Spirit falls in Acts chapter two, 3,000 people people are saved and baptized, we learn that they gather uh, together, some are gathering daily for meals in homes, fellowshipping with one another, they're dedicated to the teaching of the apostles, they're doing large group stuff weekly, going to the temple courts because they could hold all of them and they would hear large church teaching kind of like today and then they also had small groups in the evenings, they're hanging out, they're taking communion and the church continues to grow. Now, we think Acts 3 might be weeks or, or maybe three, four, and five months later. We're not exactly sure, but we're going to come across two guys who are leaders in the church, Peter and John. And they are going uh, to, the, to the temple. And perhaps to understand this, it would be best for us to see a picture of the temple. And uh, we'll get that up here. And so the temple is a place where, you know, the Holy of Holies is in the middle. It's a sanctuary. Uh, if you watched Indiana Jones, you've seen, you know, the Ark of Covenant. <laughs> that's where that's at. And uh, it goes out with a series of courts. And on the very farthest outside court would be the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were allowed to come to that farthest place on the on the outside. And then they could come in there, but they couldn't go into where that white area is where where it says the beautiful gate or the gate called beautiful. They they couldn't enter into that. In fact it it actually there were signs posted that said uh, upon penalty of death if a if a Gentile entered in there, only Israelites could enter in. And so women could go so far, men could go so far, the priests could go all the way in to the Holy of Holies. And so Peter and John are making their way in. Um, They're still doing the Jewish practice of evening prayer at 3 p.m. and at sunset. They're going in. They're Jews, but they're Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they're going in, and they would pass this gate all the time. And on today, when they pass, they're they're going to meet a beggar. And so let's just read the story. Uh, Let's just start at verse 1. Just notice the detail we, we know the time of day that it 's the three p m prayer. We know where it 's at it 's the temple gate called beautiful That's that 's a gate that when Jesus would have went into the temple, he would have went through there. Peter and John if they 're regular, it sounds like they 're regularly going there to pray that 's where they would have entered they 're going there uh, a lot and we 're going to see more detail later i 'll cut to the chase this guy 's going to get healed and, and Luke even gives detail of exactly how that healing happens, how his legs are strengthened. He's a big guy on on detail here. He's given this to us to see. Now, not only do we need to see how the temple was structured to kind of understand the passage, it would probably be helpful to understand how how beggars and the begging system worked in the ancient world. And and honestly, even in places around the world today. You know, in, in some places, begging can actually be a profession, or it can be somewhere where a beggar is put, like this guy. Notice he said he was being put there every day. Chances are he kind of owned that square. It was, a, it was probably a highly desirable place to be where he's at because every day people are passing. They're gonna, bring, they're gonna have money on them. They're gonna do tithes. They're gonna have temple tax they're gonna have to pay. They're gonna have money to give to the, to the offering above tithes and so people have money. It's a good place to be and most likely he got a cut and then whoever placed him there got a cut. You know, there's places still like that around the world. I, mean, I read in Latin America where a group of uh, people who were begging, they, they actually formed a union and threatened to strike and block the roads, you know? Uh, um, there were a 1,000 people in India who were beggars who they formed a union. They went on strike demanding food and shelter. I mean, so, so it can be kind of, I don't want to say professionalized. It's, it's, it's obviously not a great life because probably somebody's taking advantage of them, taking the cut off of them, but this is what this guy's doing every day. Why is that important? Well, Probably because Peter and John saw the guy every day. Jesus most likely saw this guy because they passed over and over. This was his spot to beg from. Everybody would have known this guy. If you show his picture to people, people say, oh, that's that beggar. He's at the temple gate. You know what I'm saying? He would have been known. He's just a fixture there all the time. So here we are. We're at the gate. Peter and John are there. The temple is crowded as people are heading into afternoon and evening prayers. A beggar most people would probably know is sitting there. And then there's these two followers of Christ. This is like a perfect setup for kind of naturally supernatural power evangelism. Look at verses 4 through 11. Peter looked straight at him as did John. I just want to pause there. That's remarkable, Right? I mean, I don't know about you, but like when there's somebody who wants something at a door, I tend not to look at the people. Like, I avoid eye contact with the Girl Scouts selling their cookies outside of Kroger's. Like, I just, you know, or people that are collecting money for, you know, uh, to help pets that have been abandoned, you know, with the sad puppy dog eyes and arms of the angels playing in the background. You know, like when they're looking at you, just kind of like, you just, you just, like, you do this, right? But Peter and John noticed the guy. Right there. Just noticed him. They look at him. Look at what happens. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. We're He's telling us the details, like, man, the strength came here, and that's how he could walk, and it happened. So he jumps up to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. If we had time, we'd keep reading. We'd find out Peter and John realize it's a great time to share the gospel, by the way, and another couple thousand people come to know Jesus. <laughs> it's amazing. Hundreds of times, Peter and John passed this guy. Hundreds of times. They, 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 who knows if they even noticed him, but on this day, something happened, whether it was God made them notice, whatever, they knew something was happening that was different today, and they noticed the guy, and then they say, look at us, and then they, they, they go on to, to heal the guy. You know, maybe they'd even given him some money in the past, but today was different. They speak To the beggar. Imagine what that meant to him. I mean, part of being socially cast off is people don't notice you. And on this day, this guy was noticed. That alone had to be powerful for the man. Somebody noticed him. And then they begin to pray. Peter and John were given eyes to see what God was doing that day. And they realized they've been trained by Jesus that, that God has compassion. To act and he has the power to act. And on that day, they knew they were supposed to do something. And they're so sure of it, they just command healing to happen. It's important to see that what Peter and John were doing was not acting on their own. I mean, they had been trained, like I said, you know. Uh, I, this could Somebody could have yelled this out, probably, uh, as a catchphrase of, of the vineyard is. Like, our Hallmark verse is like John 5, 19. And Jesus says... I only do the things I see the Father doing. Now here's the good news. If you back up to John 5, 17, he says my Father is always at work. So God's always doing something. Whether he's healing or not, who knows. But he's doing something with every person that we meet. And so for us, ministry is just asking the Father, what are you doing today? And for Peter and John, they knew when they asked that question, apparently God was healing a beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful. So part of the way of being naturally supernatural was, was realizing that. Peter and John knew God was always at work, so they're always looking. They're always scanning the crowd. They're, when they're at work, when they're with their family, they're talking to their neighbors, they're like, what is God doing right? He's always at work, so what's he doing in the moment? And then once you discover that, you just go with it. You don't have to make it happen. God's already doing it. You're just partnering with him. They also knew that, that Jesus had told them in Acts 1:8 that when you will receive power when my spirit comes on you, and they had received the power of the spirit, now, it's interesting when we think about the power of the Spirit, there's, there's two types of power that they receive. They, they receive the dunamis power of the Spirit, which is the innate ability to do something. Like they could actually, the Spirit lived in them, gifts of healing apparently came in them, and there was actually power in that moment to, to heal the person. It came from God. It was God's power in them, but they had this power to, to do the work. They had dunamis power. But they not only had dunamis power, They had another kind of power called exousia. Exousia means authority power. Luke chapter 9 and 10, we see that. That when Jesus sends out like the the disciples, he sends them out with his authority to preach the good news of the kingdom, to heal the sick and cast out demons. They had the authority. Think about it. One illustration could be this. Dynamite has innate power in it, right? You set that off. It's got power, right? Well, that's one kind of power. That's Dunamis. Exousia, authoritative power, is like the power of an ambassador. An ambassador doesn't have any power on their own. They can only do and say and make, make agreements and deals and that kind of stuff based on the authority the president has given them. But think about a police officer. If there's a police officer out here directing traffic, does, does the police officer have, you know, uh, dunamis power to stop an 18 wheeler, you know, truck coming at him? No, they, they put their hand out. The hand is not the power, right? but they do have exusia power, they have authoritative power. Because behind that hand is a badge and behind that badge is a law enforcement system and behind that is the court system, behind that is the whole government. They have this authority and that's why people stop. People don't stop for policemen because their hand can stop the car, right? They stop because there's authority there. Peter and John had both. And here's the thing, you and I have both too. Like we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. When you became a Christian, you received the power of the Spirit. You received, John 8, or excuse me, Romans 8 is very clear on that, that it, you know, if you have the Spirit, of, if, you, if you call Jesus as Lord, then you have the Spirit of Jesus. You've received the Spirit. And then a lot of us have probably had multiple feelings of the Holy Spirit and experiences with the Spirit. That's the power of Jesus coming in you. It's the presence of Jesus coming in you. And he doesn't just give you the power, he actually gives you the authority to use the power. He says go into all the world, wherever you go, preach the gospel, baptize people, teach people to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. Which, by the way, is all the things like preach the gospel, heal the sick. That's what Jesus was doing. He said you'll even do greater things than these. He's set us apart to do these things. You and I have the power and the authority to do it. So the result for this guy on that day was he was instantly healed. At first he walked. I mean, just think about that. Because that's not just a, because Luke was very clear. The guy had been, uh, had a birth defect, you know. So it was since he was born his legs didn't work. Think about that. Like not only did his muscles and bones get healed, but like, he got some kind of, you know, old reference here, but he got some kind of like matrix download. Like his brain actually knew how to walk. Think about that. He'd never walked before. Now he's coordinated enough to jump, leap, dance, praise God. Something incredible happened on that day when God showed up. And people, like I said, gathered around, and they knew something incredible happened, and Peter and John share the gospel. Several thousand get saved. You know, I've read the book of Acts, much like you. It's actually kind of hard to find evangelistic stories where kind of this naturally supernatural power evangelism thing doesn't happen. Like almost every time a demon is cast out, a prophetic word is given, somebody is healed. Now, it's not the only way to share our faith, but it certainly needs to be one of the main tools in our toolbox that we use. That the prominent form of evangelism in the New Testament and in the early church was power evangelism. I've been using that term and I haven't defined it, so let's put a definition up on the screen. Power evangelism is not just proclaiming your faith, it is demonstrating your faith. This is often done through spontaneous, spirit-inspired, empowered presentations through words of knowledge, prophetic words, healing prayers, or deliverance. It transcends the rational. So let's go back to the questions I asked in the beginning before we jumped into Acts. How could we learn to be naturally supernatural? What would it look like to be a naturally supernatural evangelistic people? We can be a naturally supernatural evangelistic people by by doing what Peter and John did. They they looked and they leapt. I think about that all the time. It's one of my daily prayers. It's just, Lord, help me to look and help me to leap today. Help me to look for people in need Help me to look at what you're doing. You say that you're all, always at work. Like if you looked at my prayer journal, I'd, I have five like, things I pray in the beginning of, of my day in my prayer journal. And it's almost always written down. Help me to look and to leap. I want to see the person in need. I want to see what you're doing in their life. And then help me to have the courage to leap into action. Isn't that what Peter and John did? They just saw the guy in need they looked at him, they took notice of him, they didn't pass him maybe like they had before. They obviously saw God the Father at work and then they leapt into action. We can be a naturally supernatural evangelistic people by looking and leaping. You know, in the 1200s, there was a priest and a, and a, uh, a philosopher and theologian. His name was Thomas Aquinas. And he went and visited the Pope in Rome once. And he goes in and he, he says... Uh, He looks at the Pope, and the Pope is actually sitting at a big table, and he's stacking up gold coins, and the Pope literally said this to Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s. He said, you know, the church can no longer say silver and gold, have I none, and Thomas Aquinas, just like that, reported, neither can the church say rise up and walk anymore. Earlier this year in March, I was at Alpha, I don't know if you've heard of Alpha, or not Alpha, I went not at Alpha, I was at Exponential Church Planting Conference in Orlando, 4,300 church planters, 500 Wesleyans, a lot of Baptists, a few Assembly of Gods, and there was 100 Vineyard pastors there. Well, at the end of each session of Exponential, so this is like mainline, or not mainline denominations, but evangelical denominations, not, not a lot of charismatics in the room, and the guy from Alpha USA gets up, and the, and the guy that leads uh, Dave, that leads Exponential, gets up, and Dave says, "I'm going to invite Todd up, who leads Alpha USA, and what we're about to do is biblical. I don't want to freak any of you out, but we're going we're to do this thing. We're going to do this thing called like a prayer ministry time. <laughs> like he, he's trying to calm the nerves, you know. And without saying the word vineyard, uh, Todd from Alpha USA." Led all these Methodists and Wesleyans and Baptists in the five step prayer model and then had people pray for one another. By the third session, he was encouraging all these people to turn and give prophetic words to one another. There's a hundred vineyard pastors, and we're looking at one another like, did, did we win? Like, I mean, did you know, like, like I mean, I, th- I thought this was our stick, you know, and 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 praise God, it was always about passing it on to everybody else, right? But then this thought hit me. What a travesty if the rest rest of church world caught up on power ministry and we, the vineyard, lost our birthright, our inheritance, that we no longer operated in the power and presence of God being a naturally supernatural people who expect that the next moment could be the moment when the kingdom breaks in. Let it not be. Let it not be, brothers and sisters. Let us be a people that there's something different about us. May people walk into these services and, and experience great preaching, yes. Experience great worship, yes. But may they come in here and say, there's just something different, there's something tangible. I don't, I, they may not even be able to put it into words, but it, it's the presence of God, that God is among his people. Amen. May it be, amen, amen. May it be that it not just be the church service. May it be your coworker that when you have conversations with them, you're not getting weird, you're not changing your voice, you know, you're not pulling out the road map and you're going to hell, obviously. You you're not doing that, but in conversation and the way you present yourself and just who lives in you that they would say, man, there's something different about you. And you would get to open up and say, it's the power and the presence of God. Let us be a naturally supernatural people. I want to I I illustrate this of what that might look like, and I'm actually going to uh, uh, invite my daughter, Emmy, up, and so she's going to share a story, and uh, this story makes me look bad, and so, but I still said, yeah, I think you need to share it, so why don't you go ahead. I'm, this is going to be an illustration of what it looks like to be a naturally supernatural evangelistic person.
1: All right, good morning, guys. So (laughs) a couple of months ago, I went on a college visit to Lee University, which is located in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so we stayed overnight at a hotel, and the next morning we were eating breakfast, and I was just eating, and I look over, and the hotel receptionist was highlighted to me, like I think the Lord was highlighting her. And so I told my dad, I was like, I think we need to go and pray for this worker. And he's like, okay, we'll go. After breakfast, we'll pray for her before we leave. And so we go back up to the room, we get our stuff, we're just talking and we walk right by her without praying for her. So we like open up the car doors. I'm like, wait, dad, we gotta go and pray for the lady. Like we can't just walk off because by the time we get back the lady will probably be gone because her shift will be done. And dad was like, no, we got to get to the college visit on time, or we got to go get coffee. or He was saying all these lame excuses. I was like, Dad, you can't chicken out. Like, we have to go and pray for this lady. So, after some nudging. Yeah, tell
0: him what you did when you told the story in Brazil. What'd you do?
1: I went, bok, 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 bok. He was a chicken. <laughs> and I had a translator with me, so she was like, bok, 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 bok. So, it's just like a bunch of balking back and forth. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Anyways, so after some nudging, we finally got b- dad come back in and so we just walk up to the lady and we just ask her the simple question like if god could do anything for you today what um what would he do for or what would you like him to do and uh she was like talking about how her daughter just went through a really bad divorce and it's just been really hard on her and her kids and as she was talking about it this lady like she comes out of the elevator she comes walking up and we pause and we're like oh you can check out it's okay And she was like, are you guys praying? And she was so excited. And she's like, I want to join in prayer. And it was, side note, it was super cool because she actually asked the lady if we could lay our hands on her, which I was like, oh, that's very vineyard. So I wonder if she goes to a vineyard church. But so we prayed for her. And just as we finished, we could just see how like filled with joy she was. And she was just sobbing. And you could just see, um, the joy on the businesswoman's face, like that, we would stop and pause and say, like, "Hey, can we pray for you?" Like it was just super cool how people just started gathering around and wanting to pray for her. And so, I would just encourage you guys, like, if you feel like the Lord is nudging you to pray for someone, like it could be a complete stranger at the grocery store, maybe even someone here today. I would encourage you to go and pray for that person because it could change their life. So,
0: Amen. Thank you, Amy. I'm proud of Emmy, but man, she is super annoying to be around because she <laughs> pulls me. And it was like, when we were thinking about, it was like, which story are we going to tell where Emmy wanted to pray and dad didn't? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm still getting stretched on this, you know? Even all these years, there's just times like, oh, we're going to do this, you know? And I have found it's, it's way easier to do it in pairs because you cheer one another on. And so I'm, I'm so proud of her. She's so good. Well, I want to start landing the plane and just real quickly just want to say, you know, the way that, that I think we can actually live this out, kind of this point I've been trying to say that that, you know, if we wanna be a people who live naturally, supernatural, evangelistic life, it's gonna be by looking and leaping. I think part of it is just is 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 a is a question, and she had a question similar to the one I'm gonna share, is just can I pray for you right now? It's it's a seven word question that I think encapsulates what we believe as a kingdom of God people. Like, it's not just that I'll pray for you later, or I'll put you on my prayer journal, it's can I pray for you right now? now last night we had a volunteer appreciation banquet at our church and um, The Refuge, they, they uh, it's a men's ministry and they do a lot of work at our church and so we invited them to come and be a part of it. And I was in line talking to a gentleman who was in a big back brace, older gentleman, and he got started talking, and I said, oh, what's going on? He said, I got degenerative back disease and different things. And he pulls his shorts up, and he's got a scar like this long. And he said, I've got one this long. Since, as we keep talking, he was uh, drafted to go in the Marine, or he went into the Marines in 1968, and he got shot multiple times uh, three months after being sent to Vietnam. And um, he says, they got all the bullets out except one, but it's lodged in my vertebrae, and so they can't do anything. And he said, praise God, he said, the VA just approved this back brace. He said, this brace is (laughs) $3,000. So we're talking and eating. I'm like, you know, we're not eating yet. We're waiting in line. I just had that nudge. Like, you need to pray for him. And so before they left, you know, we we prayed for him. Now, he described warmth in his body. I can't tell you that he got healed. But as I'm praying for him, and this is what often, because I want to encourage you on this. As you say, can I pray for you right now about whatever they were just talking to you about? Uh, it may lead to other things. I mean, the, the Lord gave in the middle of it. And I don't consider myself great prophetic person but in the middle of it just had prophetic things with things he was struggling with uh in his thought life and self-condemnation and worried if he'd ever be able to be a good example for his family it was stuff he didn't share at all i just hey, i'm sensing this and and so we're we're finished and he's like man i feel warmth in my body i can't tell if i'm healed or not yet but i feel warmth and he goes i don't know how you knew what to pray for but all those things you said were spot on so even what i jumped into i looked i leapt I don't know if he got physically healed, but there was some emotional and spiritual healing that happened. At one point, I just looked him in the eye and said, you, you've you confessed some things tonight, and uh, I just want you to know you may never hear the audible voice of Jesus, but not as a pastor. I'm just another you know, guy trying to follow Jesus the best I can and struggle all the time. I want you to hear this based on 1 John 1, 9. that says, if you've... Uh, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all righteousness. Jesus is standing here right today and I looked at him and I said, Jesus says this, I forgive you. You're clean. Amen. There was a profound moment that happened. And it was all because of just looking and leaping and then asking that question, can I pray for you right now? This is who we are. We're a naturally supernatural people. Look and leap And ask that question, can I pray for you right now? Let me give you a couple challenges for the week. This week, I want you to practice this. If you're leaving and you're going to a restaurant, practice. You know one of the easiest places to pray is at a restaurant? Like when your waitress brings the food, just say, you know, it's normal for us to pray before our meals. Can we pray for you for anything right now? It's so easy, you know? And then... For goodness sake, give them a good tip because you already revealed you're a Christian. Don't, don't make us look bad, you know. So, um, And don't leave one of those dollar bill looking tracks. Don't do that. That'll. Okay, sorry. Stop there. Um, but no, this week, I challenge you. If you go to the restaurant, if you're going to the store, just say, God, you're always at work. Let me see what you're doing. You know, Malachi's dad made this like a spiritual discipline. His dad is not like uh, an external processor. He's a quiet guy. He, when he first learned about this stuff in 2013, it just was like a spiritual discipline. Like every store, every gas station, he's just asking the question. And he just does it. And now it's natural for him because he's done it so much. Well, you can do that. Bible reading and prayer isn't the most natural thing, but when you start doing it and you do it over and over, it becomes natural for you, right? Well, same with this kind of stuff. Look at school tomorrow. Look at look at your workplace tomorrow. What's God doing? And then, as you get into conversations and people share, man, and we had this thing happen in our family this weekend. Just say, I know this may sound weird. I don't want a weird job, but can I just pray for you right now? Because you know, what I found is, it's like God shows up and helps people. Can I pray for you right now? Practice it this week. The other way we're going to practice it is we're actually going to practice it at the end of the service. So I'm going to I'm going to ahead and have the worship team begin to come up as we begin to kind of transition into that, but. You know, at the end, we're going to have a prayer ministry time after we sing some worship songs to God and give him the honor and praise that he's due. And I, I want you to jump in on that. Like, jump in and look for ways to pray for people. I, I have this strong sense that the Lord's going to give prophetic words and words of knowledge, and, and there's going to be a call for people to receive prayer. And so, A, if, if something is said that describes you, it doesn't take much discernment. Like if somebody says, I think there's a lower back issue, go, huh, do I have lower back pain? If you do, (laughs) then you should say, I should give prayer, right? So so there's that part of the agreement. The other part of the agreement is the rest of us are going to be deputized just to pray for one another. And we can practice here. If we can't practice here doing that, I don't think we're ever going to do it outside the four walls. So we're going to have a chance to practice here at the end of the service. Can you imagine if we actually live this stuff out? Imagine that. Imagine if you lived out, like you're a, you're a naturally supernatural evangelistic person, like you're always looking at what God is doing and you're always leaping into action. Man, it turns every day into an adventure. I mean, your school day could be terrible, it turns it into an adventure because you're like, well, at least God's doing something, I'm going to look for something to do. You may have like the worst job in the world, the most boring job, but it changes it because you'll be going like man, what's the Father doing? How do I participate? Like, I'm getting paid to be evangelistic. Like, uh, so what is he doing right now? It changes it. I think it changes in here, too. Because instead of us coming in to try to get our fill and eke it out the week, right, like doing that, like sometimes that's how church feels. Like, I come in here, I get my fill, and they're like, if I can just make it to the next Sunday. What if we flip that on its head and we leave here and we're looking for places to do the works of Jesus and we've done the works of Jesus all week long, sharing our faith, praying for people, seeing people healed in our workplace or in our small group or our neighbor, our family? What if we come in here charged because we've done the works of Jesus all week and we're ready to worship because we've seen him do something? I think that happens if we'll commit to living a naturally supernatural lifestyle. Pastor Chip, come on up. (laughs) Oh. <laughs>